0: Great Zeus. Below on Earth, it is now the eve of the longest day. Very well.
1: Release the Kraken.
0: Hey, Mav. We're back. We're back. It's like I haven't seen you in well, okay, about twenty-four hours. It's about twenty-four hours. <laughs> so you know, we've, we've been pimping the last several weeks. Your reading that you did at uh, yeah. at Burlo Box in Pittsburgh, which is which is a little, I guess you'd call it a club. It's a pub or a club or bar yeah. in Pittsburgh where yeah.
1: the is bar downstairs okay. and a performance space upstairs. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. You know, yeah. yeah, no, it, it was good. It was I it wasn't the most well-attended one. Uh, I I don't want to take the blame for that. I don't think I chase people away, but maybe. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a series they they do it, I guess, every month, every other month, and it benefits a various various projects around town and they just invite people in to to read. There's usually a theme of some sort, although rarely does anyone pay attention to the theme. So, it's poetry and essays and that sort of thing. So, I was happy with the response I got. Several people talked to me after they they liked what I had written, what I read. So, so I got what I wanted out of it—a <laughs> claim and fame. That's what I wanted out of claim and fame from, and from the twelve people who were there. <laughs> Most of whom were my friends. Yeah.
0: yeah. Twenty <laughs> minutes of you, dissing your hometown is yeah, pretty much yeah, racist. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. But it was, it was a good essay. It was, it was actually Thank really. You. It was actually really good. Thank you. So we don't have to promote that anymore until the next time. So, yeah. in the meantime... If you missed it, too with a good, Yeah, yeah if, you, if you missed it, you know, come to the next one. There'll, there'll be more. There'll be more. We're all good. Anyway, this topic for today, this is something that we talked about a little bit, and it was sort of out of my wheelhouse, which is kind of, you know, for me, these make the most exciting shows, and I get to learn stuff instead of just rambling. So, I'm going to let you and our guest ramble. But mm-hmm. this is a topic that I thought was
1: pretty interesting. Mythic reboot. What does that mean? Good question. Um I mean, you and I have talked about comics, superheroes specifically, but, but comics kind of providing a, a modern mythology in our far more secular world. And, you know, like traditional mythology was about explaining how the world came to be and carrying on oral traditions of your culture and served as a religion in many ways and you comics don't do that, although you know, I see as we've said before, the church of every Wednesday of people coming to buy books, it does have a religious quality. But you know, that we still we do look to these characters to provide some of those stories. We we there's a a mythic context to the way they're perceived in our in our culture. And I I find that fascinating. And you and I have talked and I know you're in your dissertation you're working on the idea of comics as a modern mythology. And that's probably really simplifying what you're doing. That's one thing among many things that you're doing but I, I think tonight's more speci- us talking more specifically about very specific projects whether it's comics or movies or whatever that take an established mythic theme or idea ie Hercules and attempts to modernize it or retell it uh, so that that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk well, about
0: I think yeah, you know more we'll Come up with something else on the, on the way. That's that's how the show
1: works, to be Yeah, we'll go off on all kinds of tangents. So, so yeah. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm going to repeat myself now. Right, right before we started recording, I referred to this show as the hero's journey <laughs> with many detours. So, well, so speaking of the,
0: of the detour, if it's a hero's journey, we, we need a princess. That's part of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> my, my horrible transitions, but I just wanted to introduce the guest. <laughs> so today, because I thought, I you know, who do I know that really deals with this topic, I brought Natalie Shepard. Hi,
1: Natalie. Hey, what's up? Hey, Natalie. Hi, Wayne. <laughs> Natalie, who are you? <laughs>
2: um, well, that's a big question well, to start with. Uh, who are you, and
1: what, yeah, who are you <laughs> and what are you doing here?
2: I guess the reason <laughs> I'm here... It's a mythic question. <laughs> I guess the reason I'm here is because I am writing my dissertation on, I guess, sort of mythology in pop culture. I mostly focus on the Greeks, so we're probably going to come right back around to the Greeks a lot of times tonight. But yeah, I'm a student at LSU in Louisiana. I write my dissertation on Greek culture showing up in pop culture. And that's why I'm here. I know a lot about Greek those myths. Those count. I, I, I would think. <laughs> I would think they Greek They count. count. As yeah, myth. yeah. They're <laughs> yes. definitely they count as myth. Uh, I probably have some passing familiarity with some other myths too. So hopefully, I can bring those up too. Yeah,
1: I, I'm very much a, a myth generalist. Uh, not working on my dissertation, but th- this has just been a topic I've been interested in since I was a wee lad and reading. <laughs> books on myth from the, the library, but then it it just infusing all the comics I read as well. And then in the mid 1980s, there was sort of that weird pop cultural moment where Joseph Campbell, a mythologist, becomes kind of famous for a while and appears on TV and people are reading his books and myth kind of became a, a fad for a little bit. I'm old enough to remember this. I mean, like he, he was never as big as David Bowie, but, you know, he kind of had his moment.
0: Two biggest heroes in your life, David Bowie and Joseph
1: Campbell. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> I kinda, and from there, I mean, reading a lot of his work and, and his, his research on, on mythology from around the world, I, I was exposed to reading a lot of different cultures, myths. I mean, part of what he was really interested in, and fascinated by was how we continue to see the same ideas and themes. Appear in very different cultures from around the world. Some of the same stories told over and over, separated by you know, thousands of miles. And, and his way of, of trying to understand that, explain it. And, and there's a big part of, of that was him. I mean, his f- formulation of the hero's journey was him encountering those ideas time and time again so i I just i find that fascinating how we as a species tell stories
0: and natalie first off i guess i should tell people how how we know each other how do we know each other
2: well uh you came to new orleans for a conference Mm -hmm. and we were friends on facebook for some reason (laughs) uh and when you said you were in new orleans i was like hey i also live in new orleans we should get drinks and then we did. And right. we met.
0: I, I, yeah, I believe what I actually did is I was down there and, I, and I, I basically said, all right, I'm in New Orleans. Who wants to get drunk with me? And, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm get drunk in New Orleans, so. <laughs> no, I live here. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> As I mentioned on the show before, you know, the academic comics community is not the largest community in the world. It's not tiny, but you know, we know each other from sort of just around. And so it was nice to get to meet you. Yeah, and I'm not sure.
2: I'm not sure who our mutual friend is, <laughs> how we added each other on Facebook, but it happened. And I'm glad it did.
0: Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time.
2: Well,
0: <laughs> I get that a lot, I guess.
2: <laughs> so
0: you work with Myth a lot, as you said, and mm-hmm. you work you work a lot with Greek and, a lot with And, and, and what well, I think is interesting I, when I wrote the the blog for this particular episode, I started with my first touchstone, which was Thor. And the reason I started with Thor was because Thor was one of my favorite superheroes when I was at seven. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, one of the reasons I liked it was I, I was very aware that it was drawing from the Norse myth, which I thought was fascinating and interesting. So to me, it was just fun. I would go and get a Walt Simonson Thor comic. I would read it. And then I would pull out, I had a copy of Full Finches Mythology and I'd pull it out and I'd just like sort of look up everything and, and see where all the references came from. And, and that was just sort of, it, it was the game to me, which is frankly weird and geeky and stupid, but it's what makes somebody a PhD student later in life <laughs> doing, doing that sort of thing. It's like, oh, there's intertextual links. word intertextual But <laughs> that, <laughs> But that was interesting to me. And Thor, as as I was reading it, you know, I, I got to know more about Hercules and you know, I got to think about, it. I, I I saw Hercules in New York. But I also, I was a huge fan at the time of a movie called Clash of the Titans, the original Clash of the Titans with, with Harry Hamlin and guys who wear gym shorts under their toga. I said, like, yes, I made that joke on the blog and if you <laughs> never noticed it, watch closely next time you watch that movie and they all have 70s gym shorts on. It's, it's amazing. And, and once you notice them, you can't unsee them. It's kind of great. <laughs> <laughs> but in particular towards the very beginning there's a windstorm when this is the story of the city and one guy's toga just completely flies out as he goes blowing across the ground and he's he's just wearing 1976 clothing <laughs> 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 and nobody bothered to cut it out of the film anyway
2: well i'm glad they did yeah, yeah
0: no it, it makes the movie i think i it's <laughs> historically accurate so
2: absolutely <laughs> But
0: but I, I love stuff like that. And, and, and I know, Wayne, I know you're a big Arthurian legend fan. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's sort of something interesting and magical about these stories that are thousands of years
1: old that we are continuing to reboot and put in comic books and movies in 2018. Yeah, I, I, and I do, I, I wonder about the origins of that, why that is possible, why we continue to tell those same old stories. And I, they do have to change, obviously. I, I think we, we mentioned this just even with superheroes, you know, our, in 2018, the character of Superman is not the character he was in 1938. There have been remarkable changes as they continue to attempt to reflect the culture that they're a part of to remain relevant. And, I think we you know, we do the same things with these ancient Greek myths. The, the stories they told then were very much about their lives and their culture, and you know, mythology is a way of finding your place in the universe. And we're in a very different universe than the ancient Greeks were, but yet we still tap into those tropes, those ideas. And I think that probably says something about the consistency of the human condition, if nothing else. Well, Natalie, you do this
0: totally for a living. What made you decide to study specifically... You know, as Wayne said, I generally touch on ancient myth, but I'm more talking about mythology as a general concept in my dissertation. You're talking about, you're talking about Greek.
2: Well, I guess I really like myth because the world is so different from what we have now. You know, we're living in a largely either monotheistic or atheistic society right now or agnostic or any of the other kind of offshoots you want to do, but we don't have many gods anymore. We certainly don't have gods that were petty in the same way the Greek gods were petty. (laughs) Right. So the idea that there were all of these stories that were basically sacred soap operas to the Greeks was kind of fascinating to me. You know, we read these Greek myths about Athena getting jealous that she wasn't the most beautiful goddess in the entire universe. So she decides to start a war over the whole thing. And it sounds ridiculous. Why would we worship these people? So I spent years and years and thousands of dollars and uh, (laughs) a lot of time and stress trying to figure that out. (laughs) And? (laughs) And I haven't figured it out. But I'm really amused yeah. by all of the stories. <laughs> uh, one of my favorites is uh, the Greek creation myth where Kronos just kind of cuts off his dad's dick, throws it in the ocean, and uh, then Venus is born. It's, it's crazy. All of it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah nobody,
0: it's like, Natalie's the only girl on the show. Neither boy wants to follow
1: that up. Cutting
0: off nope. the story. No, <laughs> no, there.
2: Nope. Yep. <laughs> That's all right. Without That's why I'm here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's how we create a universe. There's nothing but void from now on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. The universe can die. I'm just. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to keep my part. <laughs> <death. Thank> <laughs> hey, we'll, move, we'll move into these modern explanations in a second, but I think for me, one of the things that I study most when I'm, when I'm doing any of my research, from my dissertation to if you read my movie reviews, if you read a lot of my my grand cultural criticism. Sexuality ends up playing a lot into my work, and I think that in the Greek and Roman and Norse and Arthurian myth that we tend to retell a lot, that becomes, you call it the soap opera, that becomes a lot of what those stories are about. Judeo-Christian mythology, sorry if I offend anybody by calling it that, but they tend to be focused a lot more on the wrath and the morality. There are stories of sexuality. If, if you've never actually read the entire Sodom and Gomorrah story or the entire Noah story, do because the parts that you learn in Sunday school, they leave the out our Song of Solomon. <laughs> yeah, they they leave out some of the stuff that happens after the Pillars of Salt. So, um, so there and before, so there there is some of that in in the Bible, but. There's a a, a large subsection of Greek myth is about who Zeus is fucking. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I almost wouldn't even call it a a subset. That seems to be the entirety of Greek mythology (laughs) is who Zeus happens to be fucking, how he begat some demigod and how Hera got vengeance on Zeus for fucking some mortal. So
1: gods don't learn.
2: They really don't.
1: Fun, uh,
2: there are a couple of <laughs> stories about other <laughs> gods having adultery, yeah, but it is mostly adultery. <laughs> and castration, of course, just to bring it back around to that awkward topic. <laughs>
0: well, isn't that in response to... Um, not that
2: particular one, don't think. Um, that one is a result oh, of uh, Cronus's dad basically just wanting to fuck Earth, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Cronus didn't yeah. want that.
1: And there was what? The yeah. Name? Yeah. Well, Zeus led the rebellion, <laughs> the, what, the children of the titans mm-hmm. against the titans. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that uh, okay, came I after, story, but yeah. Yes. All right. Got it. Yeah. This yeah. Is, so if we move from that to our modern stories and what we, we started with this topic, again, if you're not reading the blog, this is where our conversations start, but www.boxpodcast.com. We started talking about comics that we did. I mentioned Thor, which is very, probably the most popular mythic reboot Mm. in comics of all time just because it's been going on for so long. But Natalie mentioned Mm -hmm. dash C, and Wayne mentioned Wiccan and Divine and then later, to a lesser extent, Mage, which is a little different. But both of those heavily... Delve into the sexual aspects of men, yes. um, not just sexuality, but particularly. Well, let's start with Odyssey. There's lots of issues of gender. The entire concept is based around around. Let's investigate gender using the tale of Homer's Odyssey.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you haven't heard the origin story of Odyssey from the mouth of Matt Fraction, uh, he basically says that he wanted to create a hero for his daughter that she could look up to. And then midway through writing this, he realized that it wasn't going to be that. That's for sure. Uh, but he still <laughs> wanted to write about uh female Odysseus. This idea just kind of captured him. And then he just kept taking it further and further until there were no men in the story whatsoever. Um, so Odyssey is basically the... O- The Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey, with no men at all. That's what you get later on and then more and more keep popping up all the time.
1: So so it is a sci-fi take on the stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the the blurb it's recontextualized, right?
2: Yeah, it's a gender bent sci-fi space opera, psychedelic, crazy seat of your pants yeah. retelling of the Odyssey. And it brings in a ton of other myths and epics as well. I think there's a little bit of um, Thousand and One Nights. The last two issues I just presented on at uh, Denver Comic-Con actually are a retelling of the Orystia, which is the story of Orestes and what happens kind of after even the Odyssey. So they get into a bunch of not only the, the Greek stuff, but uh, Middle Eastern and just general mythology and it's a lot of fun and there's some crazy crazy good art it's not fair that christian ward exists in the universe he is just too good at stuff (laughs) but there we have it and then you've got the and then we've Mm -hmm. got the wicked and the divine which is kind of very similar in some very weird ways where they take gods from all kinds of different mythologies and put them in our modern day
1: yeah yeah it's not so much a a retelling of a specific story It, it brings in Okay. For those who haven't read it, the basic premise is every 90 years, a group of 12 gods are reincarnated into human form. In 2014, they reincarnated as young teenagers who become pop rock stars. It's a mix. of They all have powers. They have the powers of the gods. They have the memories of the gods. They also have the memories of their personal lives. They live life as as a god for two years with all these powers, and then they burn out and die. Uh, and this has been going on every 90 years from the beginning of time. Kind of what I find fascinating is the, the rules of it are not real explicit. It's 12 gods every time, although this this iteration has broken that rule for plot reasons. It's not always the same 12 gods. You get different ones in each incarnation. Some of them seem to be consistent. We seem to have a Lucifer and a Minerva in every set. We have in this incarnation, we have someone who is Baal. But if you go through enough ancient mythology, Baal was the name of a whole lot of different small local gods. And it seems to be a different Baal every time, or at least the last couple of incarnations. So... The, the rules of exactly how this works are a little vague to allow him to address a, a lot of things. But I, I really love how he really shakes up. It, uh, Kieran Gillen is the writer. Jamie McKelvey is the artist. Uh, they really shake up a lot of the, the expectations there. It is a multicultural cast. It's a racially diverse cast. It's, it's a gender and sexuality diverse cast. And the gods don't care what you were before they inhabit you. Uh, <laughs> A um, Amaterasu, who I'm probably pronouncing incorrectly, Japanese goddess, uh, is, you know, a uh, red-haired suburban chick. So Anana, the queen of mm-hmm. heaven, is a young black man who looks a lot like Prince. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also this mashup with this modern mythology that we have of rock stars. Lucifer is a young woman who is essentially David Bowie as the thin white duke. And if you read enough about Bowie during that period, he was really obsessed with the occult and... All of that sort of thing. So it's commentary <laughs> on that. Uh, Amaterasu looks a lot like Florence and the Machine. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bale, Bale is kind of Kanye. Just for a little bit of background.
0: So the two things that we picked to talk about this this week. Natalie, you'd say Odyssey is probably your favorite comic right now. Or are one of them?
2: It's definitely my favorite comic ever. It's really great. Okay. And I love it. <laughs> it. It should be everyone's favorite comic, really. So... <laughs> Whatever you're about to say is probably wrong.
0: <laughs> you, can, you can beat up Wayne because I was going to say that I know from just talking to him that Wiccan Divine is his current favorite.
1: Yeah, yeah, de- definitely one of them. Uh, it, and it's, it's it's just such a combination of things I'm already into. I mean, they have superpowers. They are rock stars, and and rock is, is one of them. music is my other big hobby. and they're kind of specifically glam rock stars. It's all costumes and makeup and, and performance and and that's that's my big area of interest within music. And it's sex drugs and rock and roll, which just it, it kind of combines everything I love. <laughs>
0: so. And for me, I read both of these for the first time this week. So <laughs> I, I've read. I've read the first part of each one.
1: Part of what I like about Wiccan Divine in terms of coming back to the mythological thing is by assigning these gods to these characters. If you have any familiarity with mythology, when you hear what character they're connected to, you know, Lucifer, that brings with it a set of expectations. But nowhere in the story do they follow the stories, the established mythologies or stories of these gods. They are more kind of overtly the archetype is the essence of this god and what they act like that these characters are performing in a modern era as opposed to simply reenacting the plot that we already know these characters go through. So it, it has the, it brings with it the expectations, but then I think plays against those expectations in in very interesting ways.
2: Right, and that's the history of myth adaptations just in general, even if we go all the way back to the Greeks, right, The and not the Greek mythologists, um, not the Greek myths, but uh Euripides, Aeschylus, Sophocles, they were all playing with these myths and their audience would have had some expectation of how these characters act because they were familiar with the myths as religion. Right. Yeah. But they all wrote about these myths in such mm-hmm. different ways. I mean, we have like two different versions of Antigone, one where she dies and one where she right. doesn't. And that's a pretty big change depending on which one was right. You know,
1: which one is canonically true. Well, in my opinion, <laughs> <headpanning>, she dies. <laughs>
2: Well, I'm guessing that actually the myths weren't too concerned with the teenage daughter of uh, of Oedipus, actually. But, you know, it, it became pretty important once people started writing about it. So so this is not a new phenomenon. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and I, that's, that's interesting to bring that up because you're right. It, it's doing the same thing. It's taking these known stories and let's adapt them to our own purposes. Let's tell new stories about these characters it brings some familiarity to the readership or the viewers or, or whoever is, is right. experiencing it.
2: And even changing the identity of these characters isn't necessarily new. Um, if we look back at Euripides, the Bacchae, for example, they uh, describe Dionysus, the, the Greek god of wine and other sexy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> ecstasy. ecstasy. Yeah. God of ecstasy. Yeah. And raves. And raves. <laughs> um. yeah, yes.
1: And raves. <laughs> which is exactly what he is in wicked and divine. And that is
2: one of the most <laughs> accurate gods I think in in wicked and divine. Yes.
1: Um, yes. But he's
2: described in the Bacchae as as this foreigner coming from, you know, across the sea having dark skin and knowing nothing of Greek culture when, you know, he he was pretty much a Greek god born from Zeus, so probably not all that foreign what does that say about like how the Greeks viewed foreigners, how they viewed Greek identity? And when we do the same thing, what does that say about, you know, how we view ourselves?
0: And also, I mean, the, the original reboot, Greek mythology was in the Roman mythology, (laughs) fairly early early on. And and so it's, it's not like this is a new concept. And in one sense, we've talked, we're going to do at some point, we'll, we'll do a show or a series of shows on exactly what Joseph Campbell's hero jury is. But, To simplify it, the entire point of the hero's journey is that that story, that cycle is universal. It can be retold over and over again. So I think when you take the myths, which are entirely indicative of the journey, that's how Campbell came up with it, because of the familiarity with them. It sort of gives us, it gives us a cultural touchstone that we can all, we can all sort of start the story on. I don't need to know a lot about Christianity to have a basic concept of who Lucifer is. And if I know that, I can start reading the him that I, do. yeah. I don't need to know a lot about Greek mythology to have a basic concept of who Zeus is. And if I know that, I'm more or less okay when I start reading Odyssey uh, or when I watch Clash of the Titans. I can, you know, I can generally figure out from my base understanding of what it means to be me, Thor, enough that I can watch that first Marvel probably. <laughs> <laughs> There's some weirdness to it, but, <laughs> but I was just thinking, oh, yeah, probably. I mean, you got the, you got the, the base general concepts, and, you know, we say, hey, there are these otherworldly creatures worshipped by man, and they have magic and go. You can, you can sort of start the story there.
2: Yeah. And you can even play with those expectations um, a little bit more. I, I know I, I might have mentioned Hadestown either in the write-up that we did or, or during one of our chats. But Town is a off-Broadway. I was recently corrected on this. It is off-Broadway. It's a musical based on a concept album a la Hamilton right? It's a Greek Hamilton, basically. And it plays with the myths of Orpheus and Persephone. So it kind of blends the two into these kind of reverse tales that play against each other. And we know the stories of both those people. We know the story of Orpheus. We know the story of Persephone. But when we kind of change certain things, it throws our expectations out of whack and makes us question things about not only the originals, but about our current situation as well. So, um, in in the classic myth, Eurydice is uh, bitten by vipers, and that's how she dies and goes to hell. And then Orpheus, of course, tries to go and rescue her and come back, and they turns around, and Eurydice is gone. It's a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. In the the musical, don't yeah, don't look back under any <laughs> circumstance. If you ever go to hell to get someone, don't eat anything and don't, don't look back. Look back. <laughs> um,
0: what if, I, what if I have like really dry chicken and I need like some salt for it? <laughs> can I like make the person in the party who I don't like the most, can I have them look back? So, you know, I don't need to look like myself, but if I'm just like running away, I just sort of plank behind me and say, hey, what was that? <laughs> well, I guess it all depends
2: on who's telling you not to look back. Because uh, if it's a Judeo-Christian God, you know, tell them to look back. And if it's a Greek God, then you look back and they'll turn into salt probably. So... The power is ultimately in your hands there. But in. <laughs>
0: Always know which god you're talking to. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just general good yes. advice for life, that is. But in Hadestown, uh, Eurydice actually dies because Orpheus, the starving artist in the play, can't afford to feed her. Um, he can't afford to buy them shelter. He can't afford to restock their stores of food during the winter. Uh, and it becomes the play that is, uh, criticizing capitalism rather than criticizing man's attempt to trick God, right? So by changing that one little thing, uh, it changes the entire meaning of the myth.
1: Capitalism is a God. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: and that's kind of the point of Hades Town. Yeah. Um, Hades
1: right, yeah. Hades
2: is actually like the boss of a coal mining town called Hades Town, where everyone goes to work until they die. And he's even building a wall. It's mm. creepy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, who does that
2: sound like?
0: Wall, where have I heard that? Before? <laughs> I don't want to be like Danny's show where we have to apologize for talking about for bashing Trump every week. So whenever <laughs> I bash Trump, I'm just going to apologize.
2: That seems like um, a good policy so- just to have in
0: general. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> I actually have no specific bashing of Trump in mind right now. I could come up with some. But anyway... <laughs> Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about these guys, and this is something that uh, Natalie, you basically mentioned briefly earlier. If we're, we're in a relatively secular society right now, which I think it's, it's fair to say, you know, if you watch certain television channels, speaking of bashing Trump, some people would say that Christians are constantly under attack. And the war on Christmas and all that nonsense. Um, but, that said, certainly we live in a world where we are not necessarily ruled by religion in any way, shape, or form. That's sort of the thesis that we and I have had for various comic kind of book talks in general that I always reference Christopher Knowles' book, um, Our God's Word mm. Spandex. You know, we we don't believe in the tales that we use for most of our morality, with the exception of the Bible or the Quran. Most people's morality now comes from stories I think that they out and out consider fictional. So there is something about the the stories of the Greek gods, the Norse gods, the Roman gods, flawed gods who do have affairs, who do have petty squabbles, and it sort of gives you a template not necessarily to follow, but at least to sort of think about and understand what is it like to, you know, as opposed to just saying, don't look back or you're turning the salt, which is just sort of an edict, having a template to actually consider, you know, what is it like to have an extramarital affair and to go to war with your husband over his many, many love children? <laughs> you know, allies as a parent.
2: Um, yeah, but I think more than that, the chaos that the Greek gods kind of wrought was more representative of chaos in the universe at large. So your average Greek peasant didn't have a lot of control over their life at all. They couldn't control the seasons. They couldn't control whether their crops were going to grow that year. They couldn't control what new war their king was going to start. And that's kind of the, if we want to call it a moral, the moral of these Greek myths is this batshit crazy stuff's going to happen and you're just going to have to deal with it. And there's not a whole lot you can do. So even way back then, these Greek myths were kind of telling people how to react in the face of certain situations. I think today we don't like that idea. We don't like the fact that things are out of our control. So all of our morality myths, um, if we want to call them myths, all of our morality tales are more about what we can do to exert control over that, how we can be the better person or how we can make the world a better place. Where the Greeks weren't really concerned with that. They were just concerned with staying
0: alive. Well, but is that why those stories, I mean, we're adapting them and we're changing them, but we are still, we live in a world where, okay, now I can bash Trump. Um, so to take this week, this week, uh, Justice Kennedy decided to retire from the United States with Supreme Court, which means that Donald Trump, current president of the United States of America, somehow, um, it's it to appoint a point of Supreme Court justice, which will drastically change the face of American politics and culture, probably for the next roughly forty years. So that's a massive change in many many people's lives that we have no real control over. Mm-hmm. So does that give me a reason to want to read stories about gods? I mean, it does. To take something that's not exactly mythology in the same way, many many people that I know. Right now, are very much a fave, fans of the television adaptation of, of *Handmaid's Tale*, mm-hmm. which is a horrible mm-hmm. society that we are not far from. *Handmaid's Tale* by Margaret Atwood. So, is it just sort of a, hey, I want to look at this world that I feel like I'm, I, like you know, I'm worried about the Trojan War. Well, I'm worried about subjugation of women. So, therefore, I'm looking at stories where. The worst has come, and I can try and make sense of my life from. Well, that. and
2: it's interesting that you bring up the Handmaid's Tale as an example because I mean I'm not caught up on the season, but in the first season for sure, a big part of the plot of that TV show and book actually are resisting that. Um, Resisting that totalitarian Mm -hmm. government, resisting um, the patriarchy, essentially, and doing what even very, very little you can as a handmaid who has basically no power in the world to exert whatever freedom you have, whether it's just carving a wrong Latin phrase into a closet or you know, escaping and joining this underground resistance or getting letters to Canada or what have you.
0: Resisting, but largely losing. was
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's a, well, and and call back to our previous episode, we're talking about coming of age stories and how in the coming of age stories in the last 10, 15 years are fighting against a dystopian future <laughs> mm-hmm. as opposed to, gee, will she go out with me? It's how do I bring down a tyrant? Mm-hmm. So, so I, you know, we do, I, I think we definitely look to these stories. Those are the mythologies that are being created for our young people. Now, you know, you grew up reading the Hunger Games instead of the Bobsey Twins. You have a very different way of, of living in the world. <laughs> <Bob-Z> twins.
0: Um, <laughs> You're <in this> 147-year-old. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha, you're not like you're. You're older than I am, but that's still not, that's not a relevant <laughs> no, 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 reference no.
1: for you. <laughs> I was trying to the, the thing that is like most innocent, <laughs> innocuous, you know, as old as possible. Right now, everybody listening to the show is going to Google Bobsy, What? No, what?
0: What are they talking?
1: It's obscure as we normally are. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> So anyway, um, but, but yeah, it, it is We're you know, we are telling different stories now than we did even 50 years ago with, with that sort of thing. And I, I do, I, you know, as the premise of the show, you know, pop culture reflects reality you know, pop culture is our culture mm-hmm. and that's the way this stuff happens. And the way we I just, I think mean, once again, as a species, we tend to mythologize our moments. You know, when you're living in the middle of something, you're, you're attempting to understand it and it doesn't take long historically speaking, to look back on it and mythologize it. And we, we do that with you know, we have our heroes of the the civil rights movement. We talk about the the Freedom Writers and and Martin Luther King and, and Rosa Parks and there's the actual historical story of what happened. But we tend to tell those stories in a more mythic sense. You know, we we have made those people into symbols more than humans more often than not and i think that's something we do to help a simplify situations that can be incredibly complex but b to give us i know, symbols to hang on to some some sense of how do we make sense of the world we're in and and you know that is that you know we we're living in that that culture, Natalie, you were saying, you know, the, the Greeks didn't have very much control over their life. And for the most part, it was, it was that struggle to survive. How do I get by tomorrow and hope the turnips come in? Um, and and that, that was your primary concern. And, you know, now if I want a turnip, I just go down to the shop and save and, and it's all good. So, I, I have time to think about these other things and maybe too much time to think about these other right. things. Right. I mean,
2: the story of Persephone and, and Demeter isn't a story explaining the seasons to us anymore. I mean, we largely tell it as a story of abduction and rape now because that's right. what we're more concerned about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I, I think. At that time, it was more of the cultural group thing. You know, just like, here's a story for everyone. And, and now we live in a culture that just so mythologizes the the cult of the individual. Like, you know, we, we're all, you know, identity politics or, or however, you know, that American exceptionalism. I personally, the hero's journey, I did this because I was born special. Mm-hmm. I can pull the swords from the stone because I was born special. And those are the stories that we like to hear. So, you know we everybody trying to mythologize their own personal journey, the stories we tell about ourselves. You heard me read that thing last night, Matt. Exactly. How much did I mythologize myself? you know it it was it was all true, but I certainly told it in a larger conceptual symbolic form.
0: We really do need to do like I said a hero's journey show specifically, but one of the points of the hero's journey is because it is a template, because it is a, it is a cycle, it is a very basic template for a mythic journey. The story can sort of be mapped thematically onto anything. So Natalie just mentioned the idea of Persephone. Persephone, right now, if I tell that story, if I make a Persephone movie in 2018, it's going to be about rape because that's just the way yeah. that people are going to view it today. If I made that movie in 1950, it would be about listen to your parents. Right. <laughs> that is yeah. I mean, it's the same story, nothing has yes. to change. And maybe that's one of the reasons we 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 like these stories. If we, if I if I have the idea of a Hercules, of a Thor, of a of a King Arthur. This is a blank slate character. Um, which I can assume some level of cultural familiarity in my audience, and I can use to speak to whatever deeper issue that I want to talk to. Uh, I, I could, sp- I want to speak to about today, and you know, the Persephone story is—it's. I mean, I don't know how to view it in 2018 other than the story of an old man who kidnaps a young girl in order to rape her. That's that's the story. It's not how I thought about it when I was growing up, because
1: that's not how it was presented. But in 2018, that's the story mm. of Persephone. And the, the Persephone in Wicked and the Divine is mm-hmm. living a very different story than that. I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Issue seven. Issue seven. Ah. She hasn't shown up by uh, <laughs> you <is> spoilers. She... <laughs> spoilers. Spoilers. We get a Persephone. Um, I actually didn't know that. I know <laughs> that. And, and, yeah, and when and I, I actually I reviewed the first volume of Wicked Divine for for the local newspaper, and that was at a time that that hadn't been revealed yet. And I, I'm on record, it's in print as calling what was going to happen, if not specifically, then in a broader sense. Uh, I've
0: read the Wikipedia entry because uh, I had to do a show on it, so, yeah. so I know it's.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, yeah, the spoilers, essentially, you know, the, the first volume is Laura really wishing she could be one of the gods. And I ended my review with, be careful what you wish for. right? And because we, to me, it was just broadcast that, oh, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, but that's the story you're talking know, about.
0: You're, you're saying, yeah. you're saying that in 2018, in the American cultural landscape, actually, the story of America, I would argue the American monomathic, you know, Jewett and Lawrence, it's a, it's a book, it's a derivation from the classic monument. But I'd argue that the American monument is always about exceptionalism, American exceptionalism. We mm-hmm. always believe that we are born special as a country. This is the yeah. greatest country on the face of the earth because of freedom. Never mind the fact that you know, most countries have freedom. It's 2018. The vast majority of the countries on the planet are democracies in some way, shape, or form. But even our president, love him or hate him, him, (laughs) is the leader of the free world. That's what we say. There's no reason. Nobody voted to make him leader of the free world. We just decided that whoever our president is is leader of the free world,
1: and that's what we. And any, anybody who fulfills that role becomes that right. by default.
0: And, and, and we say that, so it, it is. It is very much an idea of you can be born special, and Star Wars, you know, one of the most classic of modern myths. Star Wars starts with Luke staring out at the dual suns, just wishing that he could be special, so that you know if you wish really, really, really hard. One day, a space monk will give you a sword and and make you a wizard. That's that's the story of Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) That that is the story, and that's essentially what Laura is doing in *Looking Divine*. She really really wants to be a god, so she goes and she befriends them and she plays nice with them and she just. Yeah, she, and
1: then she, and then yeah. and then she enters the underworld of the gods. Right. you know. So something you said uh, a moment or two ago, Matt, uh, about the idea of them as vessels that we project ourselves into, and I, I'm going to bring it back to to mage for a moment, just a you know, a vessel, of the Holy Grail, and Arthurian myth. I mean, that that's exactly what Matt Wagner did with that series from the beginning. It, it is fictionalized autobiography you know, as anybody who has seen the series, read the series or, or knows anything about it. The main character, Kevin Matchstick discovers that he is the avatar of the power of the pin dragon. He's not reincarnated King Arthur. He carries the same power that Arthur did the power, the, the symbolic power of the pin dragon. And the character of Kevin is it's Matt Wagner. He looks just like him. It's an avatar for himself. Yes. He drew himself. and, yes. and If you, 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 you read enough interviews with Matt, or you talk to him, or, or you read the reviews over the years. Throughout that series, the, the first series in the 80s, the second series in the 90s, and the, the current series that's, that's coming out now, pretty much all of the characters in it are based on real people in his life. But he has projected their life into these mythic elements. He, he has decided to tell his life story through the lens of the Arthurian myth. He branches out away from that. It sets up the expectations But then he's able to project himself into this vessel. Here's the story of King Arthur. Here's the story of the Grail. How do I as a person fit into this larger mythology? In the second series, we discover that he is not the only person out there who is the avatar of a myth. He meets Kirby Hero, who is an avatar of Hercules. He meets Joe Fat, who is an avatar of... Trickster gods. It's coyote. a little vague. Yeah, Coyote the, the, specifically, the coyote from, but, uh, but they yeah. they refer to him as as several other trickster figures as well. Well, um, at the end,
0: and, at, well and at the end of you know, spoilers for a comic book for that. From 20 years ago yeah. that if you haven't read, you're not going to, uh, but you should because well, and actually you should go back and read the one from 30 years ago first, because yeah. it is a really good story. But the second mage series ends with us learning that Kevin isn't just the pendragon dragon. Right, right. Yeah. It, it exp- All of these myths are interchangeable.
1: Yeah. It, the, the the idea of the story expands to include that these traditions do change through time. He is the Pendragon dragon. He's also Gilgamesh and, and Kirby Hero, who was the avatar of Hercules, is very much playing the role of playing the role of Enkidu to his Gilgamesh. So they're able to recognize these mythic themes running through their lives that aren't limited to any one myth. And, you know, multiculturalism, we're all a part of this. You know, none of us, no one of us has that one story that this is my story incorporate all these different pieces into it's it. It's so
2: interesting that we're talking about this today. I just showed my students. Well, I made them watch the Darmok episode of Star Trek just this morning.
0: Hold <laughs> uh-huh. so on. Hold on. Now, please don't stop listening to the show. I kind of like Star Trek. Not a big fan. It's okay. I am not enough of a Star Trek fan to know what that means, so please explain it.
1: I I know exactly what that means, but it's been years since I've seen that episode, so please elaborate.
2: <laughs> oh well, it was just this morning for me. So Darmok is kind of one of the the big episodes of Star Trek. One of the it easily makes I don't know I'd say the top ten lists of every top ten episodes of Star Trek Next Gen um, out there on the internet, um, and it's the one where Captain Picard and the crew of the Enterprise meet this race of aliens that pretty much only speak in metaphor and constantly speak by referencing their mythology and their folk tales. Um, So while they can understand the words these aliens are saying, none of them make sense. Um, They don't have
1: the cultural reference.
2: They don't have the cultural reference. So Picard and the leader of this alien race get trapped on a planet with a monster and end up having to learn to communicate. And the way that they do this is by exchanging stories. So um, the the leader of the alien race tells Picard the whole story that he keeps referencing about um, two of their great heroes being on the ocean, fighting a great monster, and leaving his friends. Um, and Picard actually tells him the story of uh, Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Um, And in the end, it it ends up being just this big retelling of of Gilgamesh and Enkidu, these two solitary leaders who met, became friends, um, and one of them ends up dying. I'm sure it's not a spoiler if if I tell you it's not Picard. You're kidding. (laughs) I know. I know. Uh, Spoiler alert. Maybe you want to announce that before I start telling the story. (laughs) Skip forward if you don't want to be spoiled on this decades-old Star Trek episode.
0: (laughs) Rosebud with a <laughs> <Hey. laughs> <The> sled. <stars with laughs> Skywalker's
2: father. What? I haven't <laughs> seen that one yeah. yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and, and, you, and and that's interesting that you, you talk about that episode and I, Mav. You and I do this at the store every week, and you, most of my conversations about comics are like this. We can have an entire conversation utilizing nothing but metaphors from comics Absolutely. that you that you and me and all of our friends know. And our one friend who doesn't read comics just sits there going, What? what?
0: Yeah, our, our, yeah, our one friend who doesn't read comics is, another, is Wayne's way of saying Nav's wife. <laughs> 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 we'll sit there and do not understand anything that's going on. Uh, <laughs> there is an episode of. There,
1: hi, hi, Steph. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there is an episode of a TV show that I love. Um, it's not quite. White mythology, except for the fact that they have invented their own mythology, but uh, it's based on a series of books which I've not yet read because I have TV and just, and and and, <laughs> and and what you learn when you become you know an English major for a living, where your job is to read books. Suddenly, the okay. idea of reading books just for fun is hard because I have to read a lot of books. So I have not read the Magician series yet, but I have seen the TV show and. Yes.
1: I, I, read the first book. I have not seen the TV well, show. Well,
0: to my understanding, what I'm going for just some people who I know who have, who have seen, who have read the books and seen the show, the incident that I'm going to refer to does not happen in the books, but there is a point in the TV show where two of the characters, um, Margot and Elliot and, um, Margot is not a character in the book. I, it's a long story, but two of the characters on the TV show, Margot and Elliot are, having a conversation they are being spied on by fairies they know that they're they're, they know that the fairies can hear everything that they say and so they've been watching their words and not saying anything for about two episodes because they have no way of you know planning to revolt against the fairies because they know the fairies can overhear everything they say at one point Margot figures out the secret so she starts talking to elliot entirely in pop culture references which the fairies won't get so she needs to tell Elliot to not talk. So she just walks up to Elliot and she says, "Best episode of Buffy." And Elliot says, "Once more with feeling." Other best episode of Buffy. <laughs> oh, hush. <laughs> and,
1: then, and, then, and, then they,
0: they, and they want to talk about the fact that, like, the bug, the the, the fairies can hear the what they're saying because they've enchanted Margot's eye. So they start saying. So she says. Uh, and she can't say the word I, so she says, so she starts referring to her eye her as James Marsden, and they subtitle everything so that you can follow along uh, if you're not geeky enough to realize that James Marsden played, si- <laughs> played Cyclops in X-Men. Cyclops has an eye, and therefore, that's a, that, re- that refers to that. At one mm-hmm. point, he uh, she starts making references to Harry Potter, and Elliot says, I only got through book five. <laughs> and she freaks out with her, and she freaks out at him. And she's like, you told you promised me you watched the and he's like I read I read the first five and I just wikipedia it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Mythology, my point being, mythology was always sort of a, a, a touchstone. One thing that's sort of different about modern religion from the way ancient people consider, um, Greeks, Christians, various people considered religion. Our best understanding right now is that they weren't as married to the idea of everything being the absolute truth as religious people Mm -hmm. today tend to be. It it was sort of a, you know, the idea that, you know, that you might pray to a god and they might speak back just seemed weird to you it, 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 to to them that they had as you said they had to story <laughs> about them. they were yeah, yeah
1: these are then, and, these are stories these, that are supposed to yeah. help them with their morality so, so yeah so and and the stories were cultural touchstones right. for everyone That's as well TV, it, yeah. was, it was it was a shared culture yeah it was a way that you could talk about and, and and we have that now we have
0: you know we have harry potter movies that you know for the most part even if you're not a harry potter potter fan you can use the word "muggle" in common, in common conversation today, and everybody just knows what you're talking. Yeah, oh,
1: most people know what you're talking. Yeah,
0: and 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 you can refer to you know we have we have our celebrities. You know, you, you can refer to a Kim Kardashian, or a, well, I and
1: people know. Him. I, I just recently. I mean, we we've talked about comics and superheroes being a modern mythology, but you know that's that's true of so many other things as well. You sports fans mythologize. Sports heroes, you know, they're, they're the stories that they tell about them. I just recently read a book, uh, reviewed it for the, the Post Gazette a couple of weeks ago called The Twilight of the Gods, and it was very much about how we have mythologized the rock and roll lifestyle. And, and the Twilight of the Gods, you know, obviously you got her damn wrong, um, but it's talking about here's this rock and roll mythology that kind of started in the late 50s and became more codified in the 60s, and now all of our rock guards are gods are getting old and dying. Mm-hmm. So you know what happens? Like here's this era that that rock and roll as as a cultural phenomena was talked about in books, and there's a lifestyle around it. You know, I'm part of that lifestyle. You go into the cultures, and, and you, you buy the albums, and you know, the, the way people dress. It, it's all a part of this shared story, this shared mythology, with very many different denominations, but it has its core root in in the idea of, of rock and roll. And we're at a cultural moment where the actual, the people we think of as the rock gods are dying. And and this book very overtly approaches that idea from a Joseph Campbell hero's journey, mythic sense, and, and analyzes it through that lens. And boy, did that book just really hit home with me and, and that piece of my, my fandom and just the way I, I think about these things. And, and, but here it is, here's yet another created modern mythology that that people share that that is a, a cultural moment and we share those same stories and those same icons and you know going back to Wiccan Divine all of that stuff not all of it but I see that stuff playing out in Wiccan Divine as well there there is the visual semiotics of the book you know like I the moment I saw Lucifer it's like oh look it's Bowie's the thin white duke and Nana is the king of heaven. Oh, look, it's Prince, you know, and, <laughs> and, and that's, and that's very intentional. You, you, you can't, well, I, I don't want to say you can't read that book and not get those references because, you know, if, if you're young and you're not a music fan and you don't recognize who these people are, it really shouldn't matter. Which one's like real? Uh, I can't remember. I one of uh, Sekh- Sekhmet, the, the, the Egyptian cat, cat goddess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yes, but you know, if you recognize those things, if there's that level of, Symbolism that goes into it that that gives this whole other layer of meaning or interpretation or the weight those symbols carry for the people who recognize them to to work into the book uh, and I so you know I I find that fascinating how we're able to utilize those ideas and those symbols in just so many different contexts. So I just really wanted to use the word semiotics in one of our shows. So. <laughs> I, have have we never said that before? I don't think we have. I, it, I Well, maybe. We, we've talked about BART, so... It's, it's literally <laughs> like every paper that I write.
0: If I've gone 13 episodes without, without actually saying the word, I'm amazed.
2: Maybe it's intentional if you've written so many papers about it. I tend to just avoid the words that I have to use in papers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and And... Coming back to some of those questions, you know, as to why do we do this? We had we had someone comment on on the blog post just this afternoon, and I, I think he makes a, a point. There there is just, and this might sound a little jaded, but there Phil is some Greer. truth to it. Yeah, Phil Greer. Uh, hi, Phil. um I think <laughs> hi, Phil's Al. an old friend of the <laughs> Phil's an old friend of the store. I've known Phil for probably as long as I've known you, Matt. And, and I mean, he's he's right. It's there's that element of you know if we retell these stories, two things. We don't have to worry about copyright and trademark and that sort of thing because we can all tell our own Hercules story and not worry about paying off whoever owns the copyright to this stuff. But Disney will find a way to buy it. Yeah, Disney will find a way to buy it. But then there's also the piece of by utilizing known characters, known quantities, people who you know we have the vaguest notion of the backstory of Hercules or whatever, some of the heavy lifting is done. I think that's the phrase he used that, you know, in terms of creativity – well, here's an already existing story. Let me build on that foundation, which is easier than building something from scratch. So, so there's some elements of that, I think that, that definitely come into play with a lot of this stuff.
2: Yeah. I instinctually just want to reject the idea because it sounds like lazy writing, but that really is what so many of these stories are about is, is I love this story and I want to retell it and yeah. make it my own. And I, and, yeah, go
1: ahead. I, I, I'm guilty of that. I, my first novel is called King of Summer. Shameless plug. I, I try to work <laughs> win, one in every episode. King of Summer is is a modern – Yeah, I talked about this on Danny's podcast, The uh, Sectarian Review, last fall. It's, it's, you know, it's Stephen King's it in many ways. It's a group of kids who run into weird supernatural badness out in the woods. And it is absolutely, unabashedly, unashamedly chock full of Arthurian – reference. If you've never read Arthur, it doesn't matter. Nobody in the book is the reincarnation of Arthur or whatever, but the, the book is absolutely structured around those characters and those ideas. And that was intentional on my part. It gave me a framework. Those are stories I like, those those are stories I love. Um, and I wanted to recontextualize them, but yes, the, the laser, lazy writer part of me, it gave me a framework. structure. Yeah. It gave me structure. It gave me tropes to work with. Uh, I don't want every book I, I write to be that and and they're not but that certainly was the structure of that one so you know guilty is charged of, of doing that but so much of that came from I love this stuff I want to tell my version of it everyone here writes for a living so it's easy for us to like sort of take
0: on writers and say yeah lazy writers, to self-deprecating but that's <laughs> not, but it's
1: not because we're all guilty of it
0: yeah well, but also it's not necessarily to say it's laziness is almost sort of in, right there's if you give yourself an assignment like that where you're trying to follow a certain framework mm-hmm. it's it's not necessarily even easier it's just different that becomes the framework of the story and of course you know it's your role so you can deviate from it
1: whenever you want yeah. but there is a challenge to that if you're if, challenge what do i bring to this right. old story that is new, right an individual right. yeah it,
0: i mean there is there is I'll, I'll go back to to odyssey there is Absolutely no reason to tell your own version of the Odyssey. Homer did a perfectly so serviceable job. You know, people are still years, reading it. Yeah, a couple thousand, thousand years there. ago, yeah, the book sells real well. The man did work. But Fraction decided, you know what? Let me try. You know, what is my take on this? What is my spin on this? And, and it's sort of, you know, why do we, we do this with fairy tales too? Like, you know, why why man. do I ever need to tell my own version of Snow White when Disney is already? You know, I'm never going to be more famous than Disney's version of Snow White. You know, the Grimm brothers aren't as famous as Disney's version of Snow White. But we have we have again comics like fables. We have television shows like Once Upon a
1: Once Upon a Time. We have hundreds of yeah. hundreds of books deemed urban fantasy mm-hmm. that start out as an adaptation of a lone known fairy tale. Right, right, and we
0: and it's there is sort of a you know there's a challenge
1: even you know going
0: back to our fanfic episode i think we mentioned briefly that you know um e.l james she started her she's the gray series as twilight fanfiction because there is yeah. there is as a fanfic writer which is in a, in a way what all writers really are yeah um there's a there's a question of so what can i bring to this I, you know when, when, when <laughs> are, you and I both you know, both started before and before, before writing. I, I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was seven. And, yeah. and how do you learn to draw comic books? You, you, you know, copy what other people draw. Or, yeah, yeah, you, you sit you, there and you, you trace s- Spider-Man over and over again. And then you finally get tired of tracing it. So you're like, let me see if I can do this freehand. And by freehand, yeah. that means you sit there with um, John Romita Sr.'s Copy of Spider Man sitting to your left and the paper to your right, and you try to draw exactly mm-hmm. like John Romita
1: Sr. <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> that's how then that, and eventually you you if you continue at it, you learn to draw it your own way. But that's the process, absolutely. Right.
0: That, is, that is how you know. And, and if well, you're and, not a comic book artist, you 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 know you pick Michelangelo or you pick the you know whoever you you pick. But yeah, but it it starts with copying, and then it becomes if I can copy Spider Man, what can you, you know. What can I add? What can I add to Spider to Spider Man to make it my own? But it, the question is, you know, what can I add to this myth? What can I add to make it my own? And I think that's essentially what everybody who repeats the myth is doing. It's in, in fractions' case. What if they were all women, or you know, or I mean, yeah. it's just not spoiled. It's whatever. Like um, Zeus is non-binary from the very beginning because mm-hmm. they wanted him, they wanted him to still be the father but her to be the character. So she continuously refers to herself as mother, father and stuff like that. There's quite
2: a few non-binary God characters in, in the yeah. story.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a famous quote that's been attributed to everybody who's ever quoted anything, which is good artists copy and great artists steal. So
0: <laughs> there's,
1: there's a piece of that. Now to come back to, to Joseph Campbell, the title of one of his books is transformations of myth through time. Mm-hmm. And it, talks about that idea that for a mythic story to continue to have resonance, it needs to change. It needs to transform. It needs to continually reflect the culture it's a part of. And I think those of us who we use these mythic ideas as an underpinning for the stories we want to tell. Now we're, I I said an hour ago at the beginning of this, I think just part of it, the way we as humans tell stories and we, we are influenced by the stories we hear and then we want to make them our own. But to make them our own in, on an individual level as a person, but also as a culture and time passing, those stories have to change. We have to bring something new to it for it to maintain any relevance whatsoever. And if the story is well told enough, it has that relevance. And then it's transferred down to the next generation who then do the same thing with it. Um, and, and the stories that last are the ones that you know, say something about the human condition you know, the, the Arthurian stories the Greek myths we're still retelling them in modern ways because somewhere they still speak to who we are that's it my that's my last final quote and I, I, I didn't I didn't steal that from anybody <laughs>
0: to add to that I think that there's also the belief of the writer the belief of the artist I should say art is a narcissistic attempt on the part of the artist to become immortal that's what that's what we do you know we we are whether you're a writer or an artist or a podcaster, the entire point is, Hey, look at me, look at this thing that I've done. Rejoice and call me mighty. That's what we're trying to do. And one way of doing that is you, you find this immortal story, something that you love, the story of the Odyssey, the story of, of Lucifer, the story of Thor, and you are attempting to leave your mark on it. Because even if they don't remember your name, it, you become a part of that story. then, then, you have, in a sense, your your work become immortal. You will be remembered forever. The the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, they're not named Doc and Dopey and Sneezy. You know, those are some guy at Disney came up with that. I don't know if it was Walt. I don't know who it was, but I know that the Seven Dwarves will forever be named. You know, Bashful, Dopey. Right like the, the, that's their name now because they because Disney found a way to immortalize themselves in the story. The most famous line from Class of the Titans is release the Kraken." So famous. So it's, it's in both versions. It's in, it's in the 70s version that I love. It's in the horrible remake from 2000, whatever. It is not in the Perseus myth. Do you know why it's not in the, in the Perseus myth? Because Perseus never st- never fought a Kraken, because a Kraken is not a fucking Greek yes. creature. It's Norse. It is not what Perseus fought. And moreover, the thing that's in that movie is not a Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> the Kraken is a giant squid thing. Uh, what did Perseus actually fight? Do you do you remember Natalie? It's um in the actual um, fight, it is it's a sea now, monster. Some- yeah, but it's not called a no. Kraken. Perseus um, kills um, something else, and it's not as cool sounding. So the sea monster Kato's,
2: which is just a big fish. It's a whale.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a big whale.
1: Perse- Perseus, release the whale, has nowhere near the same resonance.
0: Right, right. So, so when they made the 70s version of the movie, they it didn't sound cool to have Lawrence Olivier going, release the Kato's. It, just, it didn't have the ring to it, so they said, let's call it a Kraken. What's Kraken? I don't know. It's some fucking myth thing. And it's not Greek. It's a Norse myth. And then they they went and looked up and said, all right, well, let's make one of those. And they looked, and it's basically a squid. Well, that looks stupid. Let's make it a sea monster. Okay. So Kraken, sea monster, that is a legend that goes all the way back to, like, 1970s. <laughs> that's it.
2: <laughs> well, and that's the same as um, uh, Vampires in Sunlight goes back to Nosferatu. Right. Yeah. So uh, on the last day of filming, they were worried they were going to be sued by uh, Bram Stoker's family. So they had to come up with a way to kill the monster to change the story so that it wasn't copyright infringement. They didn't do what we're talking about and get something that was already out of copyright. They just did Dracula. Um, <laughs> so they needed a way to kill their monster that didn't copy from the book. And the sun was coming up and they were like, there it is. That, and that's where we He's get that iconic the scene. Mice. The
1: sun will do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we we now think of the the vampires and sunlight. I mean, oh, that's ancient folklore. Nope. <laughs> no, no, nope.
2: that's a it's a really bad monster that can't come out in the sunlight. That's what it is. Like
0: <laughs> that's easy to defeat. <laughs> but I mean, the, the mythology of vampires—that is for I mean, Buffy's vampires are afraid of sunlight. Twilight's vampires. Aren't, aren't allergic but there is an effect of sunlight i mean you're you're talking about a legend that goes back a hundred years yeah
1: well and, and that's it and and that goes to show i mean the the increased you know, movies and tv are increased media thing it doesn't take nearly as long for these things to become canonical to become the legend without any sense of historical perspective mm-hmm. we don't need thousands of years of oral tradition to oh no sun will kill him
2: well and we were talking about Persephone earlier and and we all know the story as the rape of Persephone the renaissance writers and sculptors and artists titled all of their works the rape of Persephone but the Greek probably wasn't like a literal rape they were probably just talking about a a fairly standard marriage that mom didn't know about the Romans were the ones who changed all that and the Romans came right up
0: in the original story
1: she's more or less in love with it yeah Yeah.
2: some interpretations yeah the ones that I like she
1: she ran (laughs) She, she ran away with that cool, goth-looking mm-hmm. guy.
2: Every mom's worst nightmare.
1: Oh,
0: now I'm going to have to, like, make my own Persephone story where, where it's literally just, like, just a guy on a bike. <laughs> it, read, read, <laughs> read, read, <laughs>
1: read, read yesterday's issue of Wicked and Divine. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> uh,
0: never mind. My life is meaningless.
2: <laughs> There's a, a really.
0: I'm not. I'm on. I'm on issue seven. I've got a while. Okay.
2: <laughs> There's only forty of them. That takes what, like a week. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. summer. <laughs> this,
0: is, this is research.
2: <laughs> There's a really beautiful poem, and I'm not going to be able to find it now. About Persephone marrying Hades so that she can become queen of the underworld. She's just this power hungry woman. Yes.
0: I've read that. Um, yeah, yeah, I know, I know the film you're talking about. I can't think it, it's it's one, one of my favorites. She's a fascinating character mm-hmm. of myth that really is like two stories. Yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's, well, and she has two, two names, Which, so know, that's fitting. I think she's like Corey or something before she's kidnapped, and then she becomes Persephone.
0: So, once again, solving nothing. Myth <laughs> 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 so, good. good <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Fire bad. <laughs> <laughs> What's amazing about the show is the conversation never goes where where I expected though So I don't know why we reboot, and I don't know that we we can. I think the question is not so much why do we reboot them, but why do we love them so much? Mm-hmm. And I think what we what we've really settled on is just because we can see anything in them. There, you know, they fascinate us. They're the stories that still. That still resonate today because you know, if you look at a tabloid, a, a tabloid story is what we really, really care about is who's fucking who, who's stepping out on who. That, mm-hmm. that, those are, that that's that's celebrity culture, and you, you also want you know some excitement. You, you know, you toss in a little bit of violence and um and a war here and there, and you know those are stories. That's that's what mm-hmm. the biggest classic myths
1: are. Yeah, well, they—they they are. They are you know, a container into which we project ourselves. They are—they're you know, a Rorschach test. We see, and we say we see ourselves in them. We project ourselves into these roles, if not overtly as identifying as this character, but we see our world. We see the people we know. We see ourselves into them, and, and I, you know, to me, that's. That's what all good storytelling is, and maybe the ones that last become the, the stories that last become our cultural myths because they speak to the most people, maybe? Or because they have the best sex and violence in them. Yeah. 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 Which which speaks to a lot of people. That's true. So, all righty, <laughs> that's we, solved yeah, that's <laughs> so we solved nothing. Yeah, that's So we solve nothing once again.
0: <laughs> maybe that you know we, we don't have a catchphrase yet. So yeah, we solve nothing. <laughs> That's <laughs> the theme of this show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but more, more, more questions than answers. Yay. Yeah. I like questions. That's good. that's what yeah, that says, it? yeah, exactly. Natalie, thank you for coming. Thanks to for this
2: having
0: podcast. me. Yeah, thanks, Natalie. That was great. Yeah, and hopefully you'll come back sometime. Definitely <laughs> for sure. Yeah, you anything else that you want to promote? Make people. Oh, about?
2: nothing right now. This is my summer of promoing. So I'm putting together my blog. I'm putting together my podcast. But I don't have anything really yet that is published so i'm just kind of hanging out <laughs>
0: <laughs> sounds good Do people follow you on
2: facebook or twitter or anything like that uh i'm not on the Twitter. i don't really understand Twitter um <laughs>
1: <laughs> me, neither. Me, me neither i'm on there and, and mav makes me give my yeah. my, my handle every week and, and there's no point to it because i just if you fast forward to the show exactly
0: two minutes i'm going to awkwardly ask wayne what his Twitter handle is, he's going to forget it, and then he's going to tell you, and he's going to talk about how there's nothing there, <laughs> and there hasn't been anything new probably since the last two you, or three times. We've, we've, been, yeah. we've been
1: doing the show for three months. I finally followed the show's Twitter thing <laughs> last, last week. Last week, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't need. I don't need the. I don't need the Twitter for this. I talked to you, man. <laughs> What are, you, what are you going to say in 146 characters you haven't said in the last hour and a <laughs> half? If, if, you, if,
0: if you read my blog, I, I, I need a good 2,000 words to really express hello. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> Natalie, where can people follow you on
2: Facebook? Uh, Facebook.com slash Natalie R. Shepard. Pretty, pretty simple and boring. <laughs>
0: yeah. you're, you're fascinating and exciting. and, and, and Actually, I, I do enjoy and again, as you said, most of our relationship is We're talking on yeah, things, yeah 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 so we've only yeah there's a lot of
2: Trump bashing there's uh, a lot of uh yeah. <laughs> testing from you know lots books. of talk about comic books lots of
0: didn't we wreck our cars the same we day we did
2: wreck our cars the same day that was a weird coincidence yeah. was that before we yeah, met even not,
0: yes it was before we yeah that was not No, it's still not
2: fun. I still
0: haven't replaced mine. Uh, If you are a fan of this show, and I hope you are, because otherwise, why are you listening to this (laughs) channel about Facebook? Um, I hope you are following the blog. You can follow the blog at www.foxpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. If you do that, please go... Rate us highly and leave us a review because somehow the magic that no one who does a podcast understands and, and everyone says this exact same thing, somehow reviews trick algorithms and make people want to listen to us more and we want to be famous. So please do that. Follow the show on Twitter at Box Podcast. Follow me at Chris Maverick. Follow my blog at Chris, or my blog, www.chrismaverick.com. Wayne, where
1: can people find you? Uh, my blog, www dot wayne hyphen dot com and don't even bother with the Twitter just don't <laughs> the thing is we, we Mav we don't just want to be famous we want to be mythic <laughs> mythic it's a great sign off does mythic pay better than no pays? I don't think it pays I, I at hope all. so I, no no <laughs> not right just in like uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you for listening. Thanks
0: for coming on again, Natalie. Thank you. Thanks, (laughs) Natalie. And we will talk to you all next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Do your will.